Welcome to the StoryForm podcast. StoryFormed is here to celebrate the soul-forming power of imagination, good books, and beauty in the life of your child. Hi, everyone. We're here again with the StoryFormed podcast. This is our second episode, and I'm so excited to be sitting here again with Sally and Sarah, who's here in Colorado, um, um, visiting from Oxford. Hi, everybody. Hello. Good to be here. (laughs) So we are so excited to to dig in again and talk more about books. And specifically today, we're going to talk about what makes a great story, Mm. some things that uh, maybe some resources for you and some, some great picture books you can read with your kids and other things. So, but I'd like to talk to Sarah here about, she wrote a book, um, called Read for the Heart. And Sarah, I'd love to hear kind of what your vision was behind writing that book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I I was really, I grew up in a home crammed with books, obviously, and loved books. And I think kind of assumed that everybody loved books. And it was just the way you learned. And it was a way of mm-hmm. interacting with the world. But when, um, back in 2005, I was at my first C.S. Lewis conference in Oxford. It was my, my first time to visit Oxford when, you know, the dream was born for going there. <laughs> but I was listening to a talk um, by Dana Joya. Well, I mentioned this in the last podcast, but who um, was uh, the head of the National Endowment for the Arts at the time. And he gave a really fascinating talk on his concern for the declining reading rates in America because he had done mm-hmm. research into one, one of the largest surveys ever conducted into American reading habits. And he had found that it was on the decline across, I mean, every age group income, whatever whatever criteria you looked at, that people just weren't reading as much. And he wrote a very compelling piece, which if you can get your hands on the report, I would so recommend reading it, um, in a piece called Reading at Risk, where he talked about his concern that we wouldn't have an engaged citizenry if we didn't um, create mm. people who knew how to interact with stories and knew how to think independently instead of just being um, receivers of information. But what was interesting about his research as well was that he was looking at people reading not just textbooks or information or newspapers, he was looking at people who were engaging with what he would call literature, but that means story. It means not just informational reading. And I think as I read that um, and kind of had this moment of waking up and thinking, oh, I guess I guess not everyone gr- has that or has that way of looking mm-hmm. at the world. And so Read for the Heart was very much born out of that. And as I went home and started doing my own research into what, what effect does reading have and what's the difference between reading a book and watching television and mm-hmm. just realizing that there were these profound differences happening in children who engaged with books and who were given a wide vocabulary and who um, basically just grew up in this reading lifestyle. It's what researchers call a literacy-rich home environment, which is... Mm-hmm. Be, uh, which is reading individually, but also includes being read aloud to and just discussing. And so I think that that book was born out of a wanting to kind of recast the vision for, oh, this is this is something that has to be both given to children as a gift mm-hmm. and cultivated very purposefully in our own life, in which I think we are right. so much in a technology age, we don't always um, default to reading, as maybe past generations did. So that book came out of that, but then I really wanted it to be a, a very practical handbook for parents or teachers, who anyone mm-hmm. interacting with children. So it was, um, the first few chapters were kind of overview of the research I'd learned. I was so excited about, you know, understanding mm-hmm. how, what reading did to the brain and how it forms children. And then there were about, um, the rest of the book, eight, nine chapters, was on um, 
different genres, so picture books, historical fiction, poetry, um, biblical or spiritual resources for kids. Because I wanted parents to be able to go to a book and say, I want a good book um, that's a really fun mystery for my children, or that looks mm-hmm. at medieval history, or I want a good children's story Bible. Um, so that was really the vision behind the book, was just to be a handbook kind of entry into this rich reading life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love how you say that. that um, I love how that it's a handbook, but it's also... Um, a story and an yeah. invitation it's to both. a reading life that exactly. you're really inviting us into that. And for my family and I, we have loved Sarah's book and it has been so neat to return to it again and again. And I'll, I'll even go to my library um, hold site and just <laughs> click, click, click and put a bunch of Sarah's <laughs> recommendations on and, and we'll read them and then go back to them even a couple years later with kids so who are fun. getting older. Yeah. And so I love, I love having it as a resource. <laughs> um, and there are other resources out there that are mm-hmm. kind of maybe similar to what, what you've written and Sally yeah. or Sarah, would you recommend other, if, if people are wondering, I've, I'm really just getting started in this reading journey yeah. with my kids and I don't, I don't really know if I really understand what, what a great book is. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I want my kids going to the library and pulling off random books that <laughs> might not really Mm-hmm. Um, nourish their soul very yeah. well. Do you have other ideas of places to go to well, look for that? I'm going to say, I'm going to leave that to you to tell them where to go. <laughs> I think there's some great podcasters and bloggers uh, like Sarah McKenzie at uh, Read Aloud Revival, Revival and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I kind of want to back up a minute okay. and just say uh, it's really important to understand what a good story is mm-hmm. because I feel like uh, in these in this day and time, we hopefully would all understand that you would never feed your children a diet of just sugar right. or just fried foods or just mm-hmm. uh, white flour because mm-hmm. we know that these things create cancer and they're unhealthy and they don't build good bones. And, mm-hmm. of course, uh, you can have that once in a while. Mm-hmm. But we understand the health of the body now and know what makes it strong and what makes it weak. Mm-hmm. And I think that a parameter that I used for my children was uh, in Philippians, uh, the verse that says, Whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, right, pure, just, lovely, whatever is of good report. If there's any virtue, any praise, think on these things. Mm -hmm. Think on what is good. Think on what is virtuous. Think on what is healthy. Because I I was uh, pondering at the end of the last webcast or podcast that uh, a lot of times if you don't understand how important it is to feed your brain on the best brain food, on... Mm -hmm on the things that are excellent and true and the things that are moral and pure. I think that a lot of times in our culture, it's so easy to pick up that phone or Mm -hmm. some kind of a gaming device and just say, here, please, I need some time away. Uh, And and our children are feeding on violence or they're feeding on um, just emptiness. Uh, As we look at television, the adult channels are so filled with just one murder show after the other, one killing show after the other, or ridiculousness or places that make uh, fun of family. And so I don't think that I'd ever thought about the fact that uh, knowledge is not neutral, uh, that that truth, uh, that, that ideas that are presented to children when they're very little come to children as true ideas. They they don't have a, a foundation or a grid that can say this is really true and this isn't. Mm-hmm. So when you expose your children to lots of uh, television or uh, cartoons or, or uh, gaming devices or thing uh, images, uh, as they are very young, developing their conscience, developing their vocabulary, 
you need to understand that what you sow, you're going to reap. And if you want to reap children who have a virtuous heart, a heart of character, a heart of nobility, and a heart of heroism, then it is more work. We do have to engage in our children's lives. No matter if you're a homeschooler, a Christian schooler, a public schooler, God will hold us responsible for how we help to shape their brains, the what they loved. And it automatically means that for them to not be addicted to machines, we have to be actively engaging them personally and in things that are really uh, goodness and true. And does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think it's we, we need to understand that children don't just become leaders or great thinkers or great writers out of nowhere. It's not just a personality. It is an investment that they have had in their souls to be able to draw from what is good and true and honest and just and pure. So I'd love for you to both to speak to that, but just to understand that first to begin developing that grid of right and wrong, good and bad, uh, and so on and so forth. I think I would just, a a way of very easily testing that or, or seeing that is how does the reading of a story teach me to see the world? So if I've read a story after I've come away from that, how do I view myself? How do I view other people? How do I view um, treating other people? I, I had a really interesting conversation with um, two other women who we, we were both um, kind of in the same age group, and all of us were involved in either writing or teaching writing to children or reading on some level. Um, and we talked about how for our generation, um, we felt like we were really lucky to have had Anne of Green Gables was kind of the defining story for our right. our girl mm-hmm. age group mm-hmm. um, right. as it happened. And we just as we were discussing that, we you know twenty years on from having first read it, we all mm-hmm. realized that it gave us a specific viewpoint of the world as um, one in which imagination was at every corner, in which friendship was possible, mm-hmm. um, in which there was a great value for faithfulness and to home and to the people that you are related to, where there's this um, real sense of. Um, education and people coming together to talk. And I mean, we're just thinking about Anne of Green Gables' um, Avonlea Improvement Society, that they were trying to do (laughs) something to improve their little town. Um, But also just the strong friendships between women, the healthy friendships between boys and girls. And we compared that to what we saw a lot of the teenage girls around us reading. And, you know, I'm sure you can fill in the blanks with whatever popular novels you've Mm -hmm. seen in the last years, be they, you know, all sorts of fantastical things. But the differences in what we saw in the end of Green Gables world we had to the differences in what girls now are reading and what it taught them about relationships and self and identity and what their goals should be. And we just felt like we were given this whole different view of the world and self because of this book we've been given. And so in that sense, I think every time you read a book, every time you enter the world of a book, you're being taught how to see your own world. And I think that's a really important thing to consider. And I think that doesn't mean that you never read anything that has something dark or difficult or sinful in it. It means you read stories that put those in the right place. Mm -hmm. Does a story present good as good and evil as evil? Does it present Mm -hmm. goodness as something to be desired, as something beautiful? I think those are questions to ask. And another thing I would add is that language is a powerful thing, and we... The, the older children get, the more you want them exposed to a widening vocabulary with words that expand their possibility in the world. The more words you have in your mind, the more you're able to describe reality, the more you're able to articulate your own aspirations and ideals mm-hmm. and ideas. So I think I also look for books um, that have that excellent moral vision and, and present a, a holistic and wholesome vision of self and the world, but also that use words in such a way that they're creative and that they're living and that they expand yeah. their mm-hmm. view of the world as well. 
Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry, I've got to jump in. Um, <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at my library, and I wanted to point something out because I think visual appetite is just as important as vocabulary appetite. Right. Uh, and the way the brain works is once you develop, like, say you would come to understand the word uh, red or red rose, then that is captured in your brain almost like a computer. And then when you have a story about the woman developed a garden with red rose bushes that smelled fragrant like whatever, Mm -hmm. then it develops another pathway. And the more pathways you have, it's kind of like building muscle. The more you you fill your children's minds with pathways of vocabulary and pictures, then the stronger their mind will be. And I think that sometimes gaming devices and, and... television uh, almost retard the brain. They stop the brain from engaging in these patterns of vocabulary. But what I was going to say about this is um, I feel like even as little children, I would expose you all to uh, great stories that also had beautiful pictures. Uh, I know that I feel like very strongly that because we're in a culture that is demeaning the family and the meaning of marriage, the meaning of parents and children in home, I made a great uh, collection of these wonderful old golden books. And Sarah, I was going to ask you, is it, um, who's the, uh, the artist that's in my golden books that I collect, that I love? Eloise Wilkin. Eloise Wilkin. Eloise Wilkin. Yeah. Um, Eloise Wilkin, all of her old golden books that I yes. raised my babies on. <laughs> we love those Yeah, uh, but I, I would collect them online because, and I, I would search them out because the very pictures my children were seeing when I was reading, mm-hmm. the words to them were of family playing together in the garden, uh, loving toys, loving ideas, and then... Mm-hmm. I'm just looking here. I'm going to just jump in because just last night we were reading that treasury to my four-year-old. Oh, really? Yes. And because of your recommendation, we actually bought one copy years ago and it fell apart so much from being read so much. Oh, really? So I bought a new one like a year ago. And so, and it's just these very simple stories, like Mm -hmm. you said, about family, but Mm -hmm. the pictures, are there's something about them that my kids have really... That very innocent and innocent, chubby yeah. babies and moms and dads <laughs> working in the story that yeah. my daughter wants to keep reading over and over is the one about the little boy Bobby and the girl Martha and they're helping mommy. Helping mommy. And that's what my kids are doing right now. And yeah. so they're they're seeing themselves in this and actually they're probably not really quite as helpful, but there's something in it that <laughs> they think they want to be that way. But even yeah. a simple story yeah. like that is drawing them to think I can get dressed myself. Yeah. I can help set the table. I can do these things. Yeah, well, that's why I would read it. I thought, yeah. <laughs> I want to establish the brain roadways in their, yeah. in their minds that say uh, family is important. Mommy and daddy are important. Mm-hmm. Um, helping is important. Uh, loving each other and playing together and playing mm-hmm. outside without uh, any machine in their hand. <laughs> right. Um, and just while I'm at it, and we can talk more about this later on, but that's why I do think that uh, the... Uh, Brambley Hedge mm, is mm-hmm. a wonderful a classic, set of books. Series, yeah. uh, Joy just gave me a, a whole new series that I oh. had never had that they don't oh. have in America that she got in Scotland. Really? Yeah, that I'm going to be reading out loud to her. These picture books. Oh, my my daughter who's getting her master's of theology in Scotland and I are going to read a picture book together. So <laughs> but, wonderful. Um, <laughs> there are these great, beautiful uh, Jesse Wilcox Smith, uh, and so I would put those art piece art books. I'd get them from the library. Uh, I would put out uh, Mary Cassatt pictures of mother and child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I just wanted to say mm-hmm. that shaping this whole, uh, I would say, appetite yeah. on the best things mm-hmm. is not just 
words, but it's words and pictures. It's right. the whole thing. Yeah. And, and I think that when a soul is, then the story formed heart shapes its very foundations on these excellent and beautiful and lovely uh, images. Mm -hmm. uh, we can talk about picture books. We probably should talk mm -hmm. about picture books. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, before we get into specific ones, I also wanted to add that I think sometimes we underestimate the ability of little ones oh, to so be able to understand or to Absolutely. perceive. And there's really great picture books that have wonderful lyrical language or and sometimes we might at first glance think oh well they're not going to understand what's happening here or this is too over their heads but I think we have to plant the seeds for an appetite that will continue to grow and if maybe if we're it's sometimes easy just to pick up really <laughs> simple repetitive mm -hmm. um, children's books which yeah. can be okay but I think they you know I'll find that my little kids will you know, something that I, who knows how much they're really picking up, but there's something beautiful about yeah. the language or something that they're getting about the story, maybe even just one point, but, but we're feeding that appetite mm -hmm. and it will continue to grow. And I think on that, uh, not being afraid of children are so, I do think they have so much more capacity than we think they do. Mm -hmm. yes. And the way the brain works is you encounter a word you don't know one time and you kind of, your brain kind of marks it and mm -hmm. you encounter it again, you think about the context. By the time you've encountered it a, a third time, you usually have an intuitive, children have right. an intuitive understanding yes. of what it means, even if no one has sat down it's and true. said, this is what this word means. And so, mm -hmm. and that's what I mean I counted on that. I yeah. never taught you all vocabulary lists. <laughs> but that's how, but I think that's why they say read, readers make such huge educational leaps because mm -hmm. they're encountering words again and again, and they're just, they're, they're leaping as they go. And their right. brain is kind of, it, it works with them to create these conclusions. Mm -hmm. So when you give children books that are even a little bit beyond their, right. their vocabulary, mm -hmm. but still engageable, um, you're just helping their brains to grow in every mm -hmm. way. And, and mm -hmm. I think I would say to their souls and their, mm -hmm. their mental. Capacity. I remember you saying once um, reading little woman as yeah. a younger child and, you know, just kind of skipping over the words yeah. that you didn't quite know and eventually <laughs> read it again. And yeah. you'll, you'll no, get I read more it to her out loud it. and she went, this is such an interesting story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get more and more yes. each time when you well, read it. I, I, one of the, uh, the pitfalls of being a reading child and an introvert is that you come across all these words that you know exactly what they mean, but then you realize as you get to high school, I have no idea how to pronounce these. And I But you finally use them in conversation, but you've encountered them in such a way yes. that you know them. You just don't. That's so true. How to pronounce them. You and Joel both have done that. You know, he'll oh, yeah. he'll say these words very astutely very and wrongly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Correct but he's meaning, such a profound reader, just like you. Uh, I do have to say one more thing. I I think that it. I was profoundly impacted by Nathan because Nathan was my third child, and a lot of times when we would read together, I would just try to placate him because I thought, obviously, he's not going to understand it if we're reading the the children's Homer mm -hmm. or Shakespeare mm -hmm. or something like that. Uh, you know, so I'd give him a toy to play with. And what I learned from him, from watching him, is that children's ability to understand is far greater than their ability to articulate. Mm -hmm. Right. In other words, mm -hmm. and that's the same in learning mm -hmm. a foreign language. Mm -hmm. You can understand a concept way before, like if somebody's reading a story yeah. to you, way before you can use the vocabulary of that story. So mm -hmm. uh, we want to read to our children just a little bit above their reading level uh, at times so that they can acquire more mental muscle mm -hmm. than just reading them always simple books. I think also um, children are far more spiritually astute than we know as yes. well. And I, I can remember being mm -hmm. probably six or seven and wondering about eternity and being totally mm -hmm. terrified by this thought of, of a, an endless amount of time. And so I think a lot of times... 
stories help mm. children contextualize these huge feelings within themselves. Um, I, a book that I would really recommend as, as a really helpful in this area is called A Landscape with Dragons. Um, and in it, the author talks about how... This is for the parents, right? This is for the parents, sorry, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But in it, the author talks about how um, with this young son, he and his wife were very, very careful to not expose him to anything violent. Mm. Like, I mean, no TV, no nothing. And all of a sudden, his child started having nightmares. And he's like, you've never seen a monster in your life. How can you be dreaming about monsters? Mm-hmm. And what he began to realize is that this child was having this awakening sense of what is scary in the world and that mm-hmm. there's children aren't born with, you know, that we, we enter a fallen world and his mm-hmm. child was at five and six years old beginning to be aware of that there's things to be feared. And so what he realized at that point was that he needed to give his child stories. That's a Chesterton quote. Um, drag, the fairy tales exist not so that we know that there's dragons, but so that we can know that dragons can be beaten. Mm-hmm. And it was at that moment mm-hmm. that he realized, I need to give my child stories that help him to interpret what is beginning to go on in this foment of his heart. Mm-hmm. Um, though I must note that I don't agree with his conclusion on A Wrinkle in Time in that book. But everything else in that book is <laughs> 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 it's a really good book. And you came to that conclusion because you learned how to think all for Absolutely. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's, it's very helpful that way. Um, yeah. And I would also add um, Tending the Heart of Virtue is a really good book mm-hmm. on yes, how children's stories mm-hmm. really help to build a sense of what is morally right and virtuously good. And Holly, mm-hmm. of course, in your blog article, you're going to mention mm-hmm. these two books, right? Of course I am. <laughs> An artist. <laughs> Not the author is, is it v- It's vegan, vegan Groyan, and yes, I have no idea if I'm saying that I know, correctly. I know, that's Speaking exactly. about <laughs> pronunciation. <laughs> well, let's talk just for a little bit about, I mean, there's so many books that we could throw out, but Sarah, while we have you here, yes. if there's a handful or a few that you'd want to mention. Of children's maybe, books that yeah, I love? Yeah, maybe we'll start with picture books that you would, if someone's, especially just if you only could recommend, recommend a few, a which I know oh. that's probably a really incredibly difficult question to answer, but what wins would how, you How about I cheat and I say my favorite picture book and then the author and illustrator that they can go find. Okay, yeah, because um, often you'll like an, an yeah, author and I, illustrator. I feel like especially yeah. with children's books and illustrators, you, you finding one means you found mm-hmm. a whole collection. Yes, um, I love Barbara Cooney's Miss Rumpheus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the story of a little girl who um, sits on her grandfather's knee and learns mm-hmm. about the world and finds out she wants to do three things before she, um, in, in her story in life. And she wants to travel the world and she wants to um, live in a cottage by the sea and do something to make the world more beautiful. Yeah. And the story is very much about how she come, how she works these out in her own life. It's an absolutely beautiful story. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of my favorites. But the illustrator on that is um, Barbara Cooney, mm-hmm. who was known, she's just a classic and beautiful illustrator. Her her pictures are just full of um, just kind of the innocence and innocence, sense, the innocence mm-hmm. and whimsy of childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she's also done some of my other favorite books. Um, Rocks of Oxen um, is about um, children who um, live out in the desert and they made their own town using little black stones as as money. And my brothers and, uh, and Joy and I we. We, we copied this idea when we lived in Colorado by, by making the mountain our town. And then we would mm-hmm. use, um, we had milk, milk, milk delivered to our house. We would smash the kind of copper colored caps and use those as coins. But that was all based on Roxa Boxen and hers. Um, she's also oh, done um, Hattie and the Wild Wild Waves and Island Boy. Um, I absolutely love her. Um, I would add to, um, well, maybe I'm stealing this, but it looks like I'm not going to steal it. I, the Bramble Hedge <laughs> series uh, oh, yes. that my mom mentioned. Um, I love those. They are, they're, it's about a family of mice, or I should say a, a village of mice. But they are some of the most intricately, delightfully illustrated books I've ever come across. And I, I did research into the author um, when mm-hmm. I was older. And she is um, an artist who lives in the countryside of England, and she wanted to recreate um, 
the local customs and crafts and celebrations oh, of the English rural tradition, and she did that by, by recreating mm-hmm. it in a family of mice. They, oh. They're just the most delightful books. To this yeah. day, I can just sit and enjoy them. So, yes. And the author is Jill Barkland. Jill Barkland, Barkland. that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I got a new set of them. I'm, I might <laughs> loan them to you. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, but anyway, I wanted just to mention a couple. Uh, there is a man named Thomas Locker, mm-hmm. and uh, he would take all these old stories but he painted he painted these gorgeous uh, illustrations in classical paintings, and my favorite one of his is the boy who held back the sea, mm-hmm. and it's basically uh, in light of the fact that yeah, you married true. a man from Holland. Just was just telling me about the massive dikes that they built and the, how yes. amazing they are. Oh, really? Just so, the other day, yes. It's the, it's the story of the little boy who saved his whole town. Mm by uh, putting his thumb in the hole of the dike so that it wouldn't flood. And, mm-hmm. you know. but, uh, the and, boy- and it's also <clears throat> illustrated, I think, which is so much fun, kind of in the, the tradition of Dutch, the Dutch masters. In yeah, that sense. So and that's why very, I, I love art this. Art is amazing. Yeah, I love this set of books because no one knows about them. Yeah. And uh, so The Boy Who Held Back mm-hmm. the Sea was not only a favorite story, but the illustrations are gorgeous. And yeah. I think there was a Rip Van Winkle one. And yeah. I'm looking at Where the River Begins, but... A lot of times, too, you can use these as uh, books for your children to observe art and color and beauty and to try to draw the picture. Right. And I'll just interject mm-hmm. with that, that Thomas Locker was actually a professional artist who mm-hmm. the reason that he began doing children's books was he felt that modern children didn't have much exposure to art. And mm-hmm. so he wanted right. to create books that would give them a taste, an appetite, really, for classic mm-hmm. art. So that's why I loved it when I would read these books and find new ones for you all. Yeah. Um, there's another book. I, we could go on and on, but I think every week we should give some books for yeah. people. But um, Cynthia Ryland is one of my favorite authors for uh, kids' books for you all. And uh, I love this picture book called The Relatives Came. Mm. It's whimsical. <laughs> it's, so it's darling. It's fun. But it talks. It's this wonderful story about a family who gets together for a family reunion. But you can almost imagine the sounds and the hugs and the giggles and the silly things that they do. But again, the words and the images combine together to put great ideas in the, in the mind of a child. Well, I think we should do one more because we're on such a roll. So we're probably getting to the end of this time, aren't we? I'll just give a couple little quick yeah, ones. Yeah, I think you better. Um, James Harriet is a favorite mm, um, author. For, he's written books for children and adults. But we have this beautiful treasury for children where, um, and he writes about a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. And so just beautiful pictures of animals and fun stories. And it's also really great language. I think it's yes, some of yeah, those kind really of more British English. And, but my kids have been engaged. Um, there's one, there's, I think one of their favorites is called Moses the Kitten. Yes. About uh-huh. a little kitten who's kind of raised by a mother pig and fits right in with them. It's just <laughs> a cute story, but they're also learning a lot about countryside and animals and family and all those things so we, we really to love use him the illustrated one uh you probably have that one too mm-hmm. there's there's one that's just the stories but there's one that has an illustrated one and the kids loved looking at those pictures we would yes. do that on tea time on sundays yes. so. yeah yeah wonderful pictures and then a couple other singles and um, one that we have read over and over again is called my mama had a dancing heart oh, oh yeah my <laughs> more gray and i've actually bought so many of those and given them away yeah but i have three girls so that's probably why we've read it a lot and over yeah. and over and my youngest 
I think I might have sent you this video, Sally, but she we read it so many yes. times she memorized a it lot was of the great. story and just sit there and say these these lyrics over and over well, again. Well, to but see your tiny little girl sitting there was really sweet. as though she was reading, <laughs> saying the story, and I thought, that says a lot about Holly. Oh, <laughs> You're a good mom. It was, it was, it's, I love reading it, too. So, it's, But it's, <laughs> it's got beautiful pictures and just... Yeah, it's this this lyrical way, almost like a a poem, and yeah, saying the same, yeah. the same. It goes through the seasons, and so. Oh, and then another one that I know you are familiar with is called "The Bear Who Heard Crying." Oh yeah, Natalie. This sounds like our old book table. Yeah, <laughs> and that's another one that we just read over and over again um, mm. about a little girl who just about her family life, living out. Uh, I can't remember where it was set in the hills of maybe in. I don't know if it was Tennessee or somewhere in that area, and um, she went out kind of following her parents and ended up getting lost and was um, taken in by a friendly bear who she thought was a dog. And mm-hmm. so just this, you know, I think children are enthralled by this idea Absolutely. that she, Mama, that all possible? that she saw, and, that, and then she was discovered and, and saved. And so mm-hmm. it's just a really, a really neat story. A lot of neat it makes me want to go about. read. I want to go read now. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> read on. That's the yes, whole point. Yes. Yes. Any final thoughts, Sally or Sarah? I think I've got so many. I really want to do a third podcast together. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, mainly, uh, I, I think that one thing I've really seen over the years is people keep wanting to know, as they get to know my children and my children's writing and books and all the things they do, what curriculum did you use? And I think the thing that's grand about whatever educational choice you use is that when you decide to live by faith and go in the direction of books, you don't have to do all the other stuff. I mean, we can always enter into our children's lives with different interests in art and beauty and poetry and science and nature and all this and that and the other, but there was a point at which I could see how much my children we're educated and growing and connecting thoughts and articulating ideas about the world and about theology that I didn't even worry about curriculum after a few years. I just read and read and read and read and read, mm-hmm. did one math a year, and uh, and I, I trusted that in exposing my children and engaging their ideas that they would become self-educated and love education. So I'm not giving a black and white about what you should do, but I do think that if you only have limited time, mm-hmm. you can read to kids all together, same age, mm-hmm. on your lap, in a rhythm, every day. And I do really believe that it is the best way to educate children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're <laughs> here, here. Let's go to lunch. <laughs> I agree. All right. Well, thank you all for listening today, and um, we hope that you have a wonderful day, and we look forward to bringing another podcast soon. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out our website at storyform.com for show notes, and like us on our Storyform Facebook page, and follow us at Storyformed Home on Instagram. Please rate us on iTunes and leave a comment so that others can find out about us too. May you and your family be story formed.